Hey, hey, folks, and welcome to the 100th episode of the Daily Ratings Podcast. We're a show here where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On the 100th episode today, Vin will be rating and reviewing Major League, directed by David S. Ward, Knocked Up by Judd Apatow, we have Black Dynamite by Scott Sanders, newly released Outlaw Johnny Black by Michael Jai White, and finally, A Haunting in Venice, directed by Kenneth Branagh. It's going to be a great 100th episode, folks. We're also going to talk a little bit about us and the show and all the goodies, so stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tom, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay on my end. How was your hundredth week here at the Daily Ratings, buddy? Happy hundy, happy hundy. Happy, it's happy a hundy to you, a hundy to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I listen. I, I would have liked to maybe a little stronger of a week, but no, this is good. It so could, I like how we kind of structured this. So yeah, we'll yeah. say right off the top, it's a bit of a normal episode, yeah, as you can tell from the it movies. Is, it is just the the usual, if you will. And we kind of, and that's kind of how we wanted to do it. Now, two episodes from now. We have a big, we have a our biggest yes. episode. Of, oh, that's true. It is the biggest. Yeah, absolutely. A monster episode coming out <laughs> in in two weeks from now, folks. So Quite that's literally right. Monster. That's also kind of like our big celebration of crossing into the uh, I don't know the triple. Uh, uh, the what happens? The centurion. Okay. Uh, the- <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's a big one coming up in two weeks. Yeah. So I like that we're just doing, hey, we're just doing a normal it's, ep. I mean, if it's going to be the 100th episode, it's got to be a functional episode. So right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got to get down to business a little bit here. So No, I, I, it's it, I, it's such a random week, too. Yeah. I mean, this is hitting so many <laughs> different things, and that I kind of like. Yeah. Well, before, uh, I mean, I, when we were planning back in like June or something like that, yeah. this was supposed to be Poor th- Things, that new Emma Stone movie. Mm. That got pushed to December. I don't know if that would have been a a weirder episode or not. That's the, by the director that did the the lobster and, and shit like that. Oh, it would have been a weirder episode. Yeah, then. so it definitely would have been. A, yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, I guess I guess it's the the cards that were dealt with uh, with everything going on. So well, I like this week at least. <laughs> I, I think it's a great one hundredth week. Uh, so, folks, I don't know if, if you've been if you're new to the podcast or just didn't catch these episodes or when we talked about it with the movies. Vin and I set a bet based on <laughs> Haunted Mansion, and we were talking about how bad it would do at the box office and who got closest. I got closest, so I get to pick a movie for Vin to watch. That is Major League because we also did a baseball episode, which, based on the numbers, I don't know if uh, people really liked, but we really enjoyed it. Right, right. We loved the baseball episode. Some people liked it, but I don't know. The masses didn't seem to really appreciate too much. It's almost like baseball's dying, you know? (laughs) 
Anyways, so I picked Major League as the episode. Let's start up right away, basically, Vin. We're going back to 1989, which the 80s apparently are the decade for baseball films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's another, That's that's such a great point. I meant to even write that down, too. And it's, it's like... <laughs> Man, what is with the 80s? They needed to push the MLB. Something like, was big. I think it's because of Field of Dreams. Yeah. I think Field of Dreams came out and it was just like, well, I guess we're doing this this decade. <laughs> uh, but we're going back to 1989. This is Major League, hour and 47 minutes, and I can't wait to talk about it. I watched this film two and a half times. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't even know where to start right away, but... <laughs> Did you think this was a film starring as a lead star Charlie Sheen? Uh, absolutely, ah. absolutely. From uh, the the glasses to Wild Thing to all that stuff uh, with, with with his performance, absolutely. So, how many minutes into the movie did you realize Charlie Sheen was not the main guy? Uh, uh, pretty immediately. Okay, uh, and and uh, and it is kind of. I I think it's a good recommendation. Obviously, the bet for this was made back in Haunted Mansion, but. Hindsight 2020, what I was craving for in that baseball episode was a team story. And I think this is a team story more than anything. That was my critique with Field of Dreams where you really didn't know – any of like I said, can you name me one team member's name? And you can't do it. It wasn't about the team at all. Right. And this is all about the team. All about the team. <laughs> uh, big characters and everything like that. So, uh, I mean, I can simply say I probably would not watch this movie. <laughs> uh, in under normal circumstances, folks, this is not normal circumstances. Were you so. excited? You were on a baseball high still after yes. the baseball episode. Yeah. Were you excited going into this? I was. I was. And what were you expecting? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I was expecting more comedy, even though mm-hmm. you kind of primed me and said, well, it is comedy, but it's not. The second one is really more the the slapstick style to it. More so. The second, because Major League Two comes out, it's PG-13 comedy. Yeah. And it's way more comedy. It's a lot more, uh, Charlie Sheen's more of a main guy. Mm. And this one is a, it's rated R. Yeah. Hour 47. Yeah. It's among the many rated R baseball films. You know? It's true, yeah. Like they, 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 they like these rated R films. I'm glad so. you weren't dreading it then. No, I wasn't dreading it. Did I love it? (laughs) (laughs) I think the film hits a real good stride uh, eventually, but I I wasn't infatuated with this film. And it makes me worry when you said you watch it two and a half times, because that's the rule for a must-watch on my side of the table. So I I don't know. I can't wait. Okay. But, folks, this is our deformed offspring of the baseball episode and a lost bet. So here we are watching uh, this, this kind of baseball spoof movie. Uh, in the heyday of the baseballs, I'll just say right off the bat, wow, we got some serious 80 vibes in this. Yeah. Um, I mean, from the acting talent to the copious slap bass in the soundtrack, I mean, this movie really drips 89. Um, just <laughs> yeah. enough of that brassy Casio keyboard to keep it out of the 90s and in that Star Trek next gen feel that I've described before. <laughs> yeah, the music is, it's super 80s. Yeah. Super Cleveland, too. Oh. Just the depressing town in the beginning. It all works. Yeah. That's actually one thing. I, I I didn't bring it up in the baseball episode, but I'll bring it up here. Not that I have any kind of major insight or kind of conclusions to make, but yeah. I think it's interesting in all these baseball episodes what love they give to what teams and what cities. Yeah. I don't know if that plays into like true underdogs in baseball at the time or uh, this coming out in 89, were the Indians having like a really bad losing streak? So it's directed by David S. Ward, and uh-huh. I believe how it goes is he was 
was a big Cleveland fan, and he always wanted them to do well. But if it's something like the only way to make that happen is to actually make a movie about them doing well. <laughs> so he has a passion. He wanted to be around the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. They were not they're not known as a great team. Okay. They're not, yeah. Well, well they're go. not even known as the Indians anymore. But right, right. <laughs> back yeah. then, yeah, they're not so great. Yeah. Well, in Major League, folks, uh, the Cleveland Indians is a, a, a team on a terrible, terrible losing streak. Uh, under some new ownership of the team, on top of that, it means that they have some different priorities for the season. Uh, the goal is to come in dead last from the ownership of the team in order to relocate in a sweet deal down to Florida and get rid of all of this troublesome Ohio uh, <laughs> Ohio baseball that, that <laughs> seems to be cursing them. Um, one thing I think I would have loved a little bit more is maybe, again, uh, the aspect of superstition in baseball. Yeah, I think that would have been uh, cool here. But you do get you do get what I was craving for for the entire baseball episode. All five of those movies was that just I wanted a story following the team through the season, and that's yeah. what Major League One is. It's just basically putting the team together and uh, you know stumbling through the season until they don't stumble through the season. Basically, right, right. So. Um, you know, my assumption about this movie was that, you know, it was something like 1980s Stripes or 1984's Police Academy, a, mm. a ragtag motley crew of characters stuck together as a team with no chance of success. And, you know, this movie doesn't have much of a comedy focus as those other films, especially not Stripes with, with Bill Murray For and, sure, and yeah. Police Academy, Michael Winslow. I, I, I love the connection. <laughs> I love that connection. Yeah, I feel like that is um, uh, how you, or at least one way uh, of how you write yeah. a comedy in the 80s is that you just put, you know, the misfits together, uh, which is successful. But, uh, you know, this hits on every other mark of being an ensemble cast of loser characters. It doesn't have the same comedy as those two others, but I feel like it does fall in to it yeah and, and you would agree I, I love that yeah yeah but yeah uh, honestly when when i when i was watching this film it just took me a solid minute to get engaged with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, well you, you were doing other things in the background were you no okay. no i was in i mean, listen it's a bet i am an honorable man i was i was as engaged with this as i would be the godfather you know <laughs> Thank God we didn't watch it together. Yeah. I, I would have been insufferable to deal with. <laughs> well, let me ask you honestly. Yeah. The, the, the first hour is what I have my gripes on the film with. Okay, all right. Uh, in that it's just kind of slow. It's objectiveless. It's just kind of like languishing. We also get this romance plot, which yeah. I feel like is honestly a ripoff of Bull Durham, like 100%. So um, I, I don't mind, because it's so baseball heavy and you're with the team so much, I'm okay with, we still need scenes outside or off the field. Mm. So I'm okay with the romance plot. It's still a movie. I think it could have been shortened up. Mm, I think okay. it could. I think it takes up a little bit too much time, but not a crazy amount. I'm not sure. super disappointed with it. Yeah. Uh, it just becomes a little bit rinse and repeat, mm -hmm. or each scene could be shortened up a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yes. Now, I heard that critique before where it's a little bit slow. Everyone loves the last half hour. Right. But That's when it hits its stride, and uh, something I just wish, I, and even in the energy of scenes, I wish it was just there a little bit earlier. I, I really like, but what's wrong with the first hour? I, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong. It's just more so objectiveless. It feels like it languishes. Really? It just, yeah, we don't have a way that we're rallying the team, and because they're all right with 
I guess I guess the the Indians are right with losing in this just because they don't understand the stakes of losing. So if the stakes aren't there for the character, that's where I'm like, you know, you know, am I really caring about this? Okay. <laughs> you know? That's interesting. I, I mean, I really have opposite feelings. Mm. I love the first hour. Okay. Uh, I love the whole movie. I but the the, <laughs> the first hour I like because one, I like the team coming together. Uh huh. And it's not a perfect movie. I'm 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 happy to talk about where I have issues with it. Sure, but sure. I like the team coming together and being as bad as you think they are. I don't mm. think it's objectiveless at all because the first half, the first part of the movie with the team, you know, e- each individual character. Is kind of in it for themselves for oh, their own sure. reasons. So there is, I, I do feel like there's objectives. They're mm-hmm. just singular objectives of each character mm-hmm. until we hit that hour mark where now we're in it with the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then you feel that main objective big time. It's sure. shoved in your face what the objective is. Getting to know the character, like the setup with getting to know the characters and then kind of just the rough start to the season. Yeah. And I, I'm all about it. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> Because, I don't know, Tom Berenger, who plays main character, Jake yeah. Taylor, yep. who plays the catcher, he just reminds me so much of an actual lower level like baseball guy. <laughs> right. Even right. like when they're on screen, the way he's chew- the way he's chewing gum and everyone's actually naturally sweaty. Yeah. And it just he's feels got this ever tan on him from being out on the field. People and- really feel there's a few characters that really feel like actual baseball players. Uh-huh. And it just there's an authentic there's an authenticity Authent- authenticity. There's an authenticity there that I really appreciate. Even mm. though it's a it's a comedy baseball film. Mm. So it's like outrageous, dumb humor at times. Right. There's some characters that really just make it feel like, okay, that guy feels like a real baseball. There's a lot of actual baseball players in this movie. Oh, really? Which okay. I appreciate. Yeah. Sure. Even the one guy, the, like the big guy in the Yankees, mm-hmm. the one who's spitting with the oh, mustache yeah. and stuff. <laughs> he's constantly spitting. Uh, he's a real baseball player. Oh, okay. And actually okay, okay. just like, uh, I think, very, very good for a few years. One of the best characters in the entire movie is the announcer. Yeah. And he's phenomenal and also reminds me of Bob Barker a lot. Yeah. But uh, he was a real baseball player. Oh. The third base coach in the movie, he was a baseball player. Wow. So there's baseball people in the film. Interesting. I love the way the games look too. They filmed um Especially towards the end of the movie, they filmed in an actual like AAA stadium. Like there was, mm. they actually had like twenty to thirty thousand people in the stands. Wow, wow! While making the movie, that's great. Uh, that's also a good vibe. But mm-hmm. rambling now. But that first hour, I like it because I'm happy to get to know the team, mm-hmm. and it just feels very baseball. The whole tryouts and the red card <laughs> and everything like that. There's silliness. There's stupidity there. No, but, but I like that. I love when Charlie Sheen gets into the fight with the one guy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, F-bombs are being thrown. And it's just yeah. like, wait, is this a dumb comedy? Or is this serious? How should I take this? <laughs> it rides on a bit of an edge. but I totally agree with that. Um, that first hour, I'm okay with, personally. Sure, sure. Uh, maybe there's uh, – I don't want to say that it's wasted time because, one, it's solidifying how bad they are and how likely they will succeed at coming in very last place right. You know, to, to the ownerships. Uh, I forget the – the, the, the actress's name but when it comes down to it i mean it is getting us to know the team which i don't think is wasted time it just feels like it kind of spun around a little bit and meandering me. a little bit yeah okay yeah when when it comes to that comedy I, i'm with you that i i wouldn't call this i don't know i guess it is a comedy but it just feels like such a kind of a locker room kind of boys thing really the only person that i would say is an overtly comedic character is the all-state guy yeah uh, as, as pedro <laughs> serrano yeah. yeah uh i mean because he's the only one that's like a caricature of something you yeah. know being this kind of like voodoo superstition and if anything that's the superstition <laughs> in, in the baseball side of it so you know it, it's 
it's necessary for us to get to really familiar with the team, for us to root with them, uh, and you know, a little something magical happens at a, at a little bit of, of, of an hour in, and uh, this under, underdog story really gets a solid objective. The team rallies behind uh, not coming in last place, right. and as as ridiculous as it is, I mean, I think the the coach says that he needs like thirty eight wins or something like that. In the yeah. is, is that even possible in the season? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, back then it was a hundred and sixty two game season. Oh, okay. now we're at one hundred and seventy two. And oh, he wow. was saying, I think to make you know make the, get the pennant or whatever. To he's like, I estimate that we need thirty eight wins. Yeah, thirty eight yeah. more wins. Yeah, uh, and, and it's great to see the rise. Uh, I mean, in that ways, I think this is a. Uh, a decent baseball movie because it was it scratched that itch of what I was looking for yeah. of you know it tightens up where the plot needs to be and challenges the team to overcome uh, what's against them. You were definitely so, in it then. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think rallying the team earlier around sticking to you know sticking it to their ownership would have been key to I think some better pacing in the film. Uh, but I think that last forty minutes of the film has some serious great moments of it that could hype up any viewer. Certainly captured me, not even understanding how many games are in a baseball season. (laughs) (laughs) It's just just showing my my bias a little bit. But, you know, it it takes that, that I would call a little bit of an unengaging first hour to get there. Regardless, I think when you get there, you do fall in love with this team. And I feel Mm. like that there's, there's something of merit there. You know, scenes like when... Charlie Sheen comes out to Wild Thing. It feels like not only is it a good scene for energy, good scene for finales, but it feels earned because we saw how you know they progressed throughout the right, season. The struggle That's through what the I was season. just I was just looking for with with a team of focus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, going through the season, ups and downs to it. And I think this movie does have that. I just I I, I was not crazy about it. <laughs> Maybe, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think uh I'm very curious to hear your thoughts especially mm-hmm. <laughs> two two and a half watches in maybe one stop that half watch and I'll sleep. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> He's like I've seen this one already. Yeah. <laughs> uh but with that said I think this is a good cap off for the baseball week not because uh it was the best of the baseball bunch but it really did hit on what I was craving for and kind of creates a a good spectrum of what I think different types of baseball movies can be not just this romance rough and tumble thing but also just about the baseball itself and winning the season i mean this is the sixth baseball film we watched would yeah. you say that this had the most baseball in it i think so yeah but i don't know if the score reflects that that's fine that's, uh, that's okay so i mean despite what i wanted i don't know in, in execution if this was the one for you know to to rise above the rest okay with that despite me saying like you know i really just wanted that so with that said we're gonna go ahead and oh, give wow. major league a 60 on the dot. Okay, 60 on the dot. Boy, we got there quick. Uh, 60, 60. Uh, it was going to be lower. I'm telling you, it was lower for a lot of the week. But I really, wow. I really had to sit with just like how much, because my initial critique of, of the last 30, that I thought it was like some razzle-dazzle. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think I think it, it's earned there through the love of the team and you know a good ensemble performances. You know, yeah. The last half an hour is electric. The last game is phenomenal, <laughs> yeah. and it just feels like real baseball. As yeah. I said, Tom Berenger, I don't know where he went. Apparently, he played a role in Inception. Oh, really? Yeah. And okay. then now he is in like he is in bad movies yes. now. <laughs> and I watched, tried to watch one of them. God awful, god awful. But I want him to come back 
a little bit. He's right. still around. I want Major League Four so bad. <laughs> right, yeah, because they go, there's a third one. It's like back to the little yeah, league or and something exactly. like that. You can't take it too seriously. Uh, yeah. One and two were really the, the, the main pair. Yeah. But Tom Berenger, like I said, I really liked him as the main character. Uh, a little bit too much romance, but I didn't. I didn't mind it too much. I okay. knew it's just I feel like you have to have something off the field. Right, right. And there was a couple scenes that I actually kind of liked. Uh maybe a little bit too maybe a little bit too stalker-ish. <laughs> and maybe just certainly cut it back 5 minutes or something like that in total. Yeah. Uh, but really felt like a real catcher and I appreciated that. Uh-huh. Charlie Sheen was actually a very good pitcher in high school, oh, really? but his grades sucked so he couldn't go to college or something like that, but mm-hmm. something like he did actually have an 85, 86 mile an hour fastball in real life. Wow. He knew how to pitch the team in real life loved going out together they were in like the during shooting always went out to the bars and everything like mm-hmm. that together they were a real team like they enjoyed each other's company a sure. lot tom berenger and charlie sheen together this was a bit of a reunion too because they were in platoon oh of course but man what i don't like there's definitely the, some of the comedy does not hit at all mm-hmm. and it's almost especially with the main you have the manager and the owner of the team mm. and i feel like it's so kiddish, or the, the, it's it's just over the top. Where it's almost like they forget that hey, it's a rated R comedy, mm. not a PG comedy. Sure, so sure. So the comedy could have been amped up a little bit. It's just silly locker room kind of. Yeah, that's as you one. said, I, I kind of even uh, refer to it as loose. It's not. I don't feel like it's it's trying to make jokes and falling flat on its face. It's just kind of like mm, they are... throw some things out there, and that's just like all right, it hangs, and if it, it hits, it hits. I didn't think it hits, but you know. okay. All the baseball aspects, I love it. It just feels like a baseball movie, and I really appreciated that. Field of Dreams, I just had a lot of issues with. Mm. Uh, and even The Rookie, I just definitely had some issues with big time. And it just yeah. felt was a baseball movie. You're hanging with the crew. And it mm. was good to see them dirty and roughed up, and it just seemed like a ragtag team. Sure. So it came across great. I have a blast with this film. I <laughs> love this film. I love basically every single character in this film. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, it's it's not perfect by any means. So it doesn't have any laces, but this is two very highly polished <laughs> shoes. Highly polished shoes for Tommy Two, two Shoes. That's great. That's uh, great. I adore this film. I love this film. That's fantastic. So I just want more Tom Berger in my life. And <laughs> yeah, it's just, I could talk a lot. I honestly have a lot of research on the film, and I'm just going to waste too much time talking about it. So we should probably do <laughs> That's great, though. No, I think that's important for not only perspective for it, but also, like, your appreciation of the baseball elements, which are completely lost on me. Yeah. You know? And the last, but even, like, the like, the, the end, love the, the, the game yeah. against the Yankees. You probably learned something in baseball, maybe, even. <laughs> you have any questions for me coming off of it before you end it? <laughs> questions for baseball? No, no, no. Well, just about the movie or anything like that. Uh, uh, who would you want in Major League Four? <laughs> Everyone. It's yeah. the exact same. <laughs> I adore this film. I love this film. I can't. I can't give it a lace, but listen, man, those two shoes are polished, and everyone give it a watch. I'm. Gonna, I'm probably gonna watch it this tonight. Is a baseball cleats. After we wrap this up, I'm probably gonna watch it tonight. I freaking love this movie. That's great. That's great. I love that. Okay. All right. Let's just keep things moving then right away. That's long enough. We're gonna continue with our Judd Apatow study. So we're jumping to 2007, and this is Knocked Up. And Vin, how'd we like it? Uh, well, yeah, we continued uh, the Judd Apatow study with you know one of the most successful comedy platforms for Seth Rogen. I feel like Knocked Up in 2007 really pushed Seth, Seth Rogen to the next level, both being seen as a leading man, uh, but also for his comedy. Uh, and, and flashback to 2007, this was really the second biggest thing people cared about uh, was that Katherine Heigl was turning her back on Grey's Anatomy to... 
act in a comedy with that stoner guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, acceptable answers for the number one thing uh, people cared about in 2007 was, oh my God, honey, we're losing the house. So that's, that's, that's number one. But Catherine Heigl leaving, leaving Grey's Anatomy was the second one for sure. <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> Not, yeah, see, I'll handle TV trivia. You handle the baseball. Yeah. <laughs> that's the deal. That's the deal. Knocked Up is, um, I would say in 2007, a bit more interesting of a comedy coming out uh, than watching it in modern day. Mm. Uh, I feel like back then, this comes off as one of the more unique rom-com structures for how casually we're introduced to characters, how casually we're introduced to sex and pregnancy, and and how day in the life the plot unfolds. Uh, but I feel like watching this today, it comes off a little bit oddly pl- paced and lacking some of the magic of 40-year-old version. That was the real head-to-head here for the study. Okay. In a lot of ways, I think 40-year-old version works and is a better comedy, but in other ways, I think Knocked Up, even though it's more structured to like a typical rom-com, yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, it is probably the slightly better of a movie. Not that it has to be a comparison game, you know, I don't like the comparison no, but it, game, it, but... It, it makes sense because we're, you know, this is all, just Judd Apatow through and through. Yeah. I mean, he's writing and directing these two films. Right, right. And we were expecting, hoping to get a little bit better than 40-Year-Old Virgin coming off of it. Mm-hmm. You liked it a little bit more than me, I think, but... 40-Year-Old Virgin was so hindered because you are with those four bros for the most part, basically. (laughs) And with this, you're getting a more complete, maybe, film. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's there's at least a good supporting cast on both sides of the relationship, where we right, don't get that right. simply with uh, with uh, forty old. It's been big of a bigger film. It kind of seems yeah. like I was, it's two hours and nine minutes, I which I just think is too long. Probably. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. But it, it, it's hard to put into words how I think uh, small moments in the improv are slight misses in this film, especially at the start of the movie. Uh, I just don't think scenes have a, a very good rhythm um, between each other. Uh, for being just the beginning stretch of the film where we're kind of ramping up. But once we get in the groove and knee-deep in the plot, I think it does make up for it. Uh, And if anything, the more typical structure, like I was saying, of the rom-com steps in to make this a solid entry for our study. Okay. Uh, Knocked Up is about the unlikely couple of an E! News host and a stoner man-child hooking up and staying together over a baby. Uh, This is very much still in in day-in-the-life comedy or day-in-the-life style of comedy for Apatow. So much so that the plot really just ticks along that nine-month period Mm -hmm. exactly. And that's where I think some of it, it's forced to be in this two-hour-plus category um, just for how how much time you got to cover things have to kind of just languish and, and 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 just be mundane and day in the life and just kind of how it is. Um, each side of the relationship comes with some baggage, though. Uh, Rogan's stoner frat house might seem like the worst deal, but Heigl brings an overbearing sister sister with a <laughs> crumbling marriage that foreshadows the dread to come uh, on her trying to make this relationship work with Seth Rogan. Uh, I think speaking of Seth, I feel he's a decent lead here uh not amazing but hits the kind of the nice guy notes needed for this rom-com format and especially in the 2000s that kind of rom-com format i mentioned already uh for the 40 year old version but hitch 
uh, yeah. as, as like the nice guy <laughs> rom-com. Uh, but I think it's important to understand that the objective for the romance side is more heartwarming than romantic. I think that's a really good, important thing to keep in mind for probably a lot of these Apatow rom-coms. Um, you know, both of these movies had me reflecting on stronger rom-coms and stronger specifically in romantics, on the romantic side, in how they portray their leads. And really, I just kind of came back, I always came back to 1989's When Harry Met Sally mm. as a highlight that came to mind that that was a rom-com with romance as the focus. These are rom-coms as comedy as the focus. And, and that, yeah, and that film, correct me if I'm wrong, but you rewatching that, very impressed and almost saying, yeah. okay, this is what started a new age, basically. Yeah. That was a bit of a trendsetter for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, still holds up. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I haven't listened back to my review, but I look back at that score. I think I gave it a 74 or something like that. And I think still definitely holds up. I think that's great. <clears throat> now, as far as Seth Rogen goes, I almost feel like I would enjoy him most in this role because this mm-hmm. is where we're seriously dropping the whole stoner thing oh, for, for the most part. Right? right. Yeah. He still is, but his well, he's arc still is to right. drop the stoner thing. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But in two years later we get Pineapple Express. Then, so. <laughs> but just that almost like you said in Forty Year Old Virgin, uh he might be smoking in the scene, but it's not making up the scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh this just having that natural almost like becoming a father or whatever like that. Yeah. That you get in this relationship with Katherine Heigl where you get a much more tame and just mm-hmm. like real dude on screen. Yeah. And yeah. that's beneficial, I can I can imagine. And if anything, you hit the nail on the head or why the early parts Maybe we're lacking the polish and stitching it together. So many scenes are just Seth Rogen in a you know in a gas mask bong with other of his friends last laughing at him and like you know there's just so much there that is just like these are, they clearly just brought some cameras for them to chill out and <laughs> great for the improv. I, I think much weaker in comparison to the structured comedy um, that the the film goes after. Okay, and, you know once once the plot really kicks. So is off. it trying too hard to set who these characters are? In the beginning? I don't know if it's... It's like, oh, look at this bum. How's he going to make it? (laughs) Yeah, right. You know? If anything, it reminds me of... The same feeling, and I haven't, I didn't really nail it down forty year old version, but the same feeling of Steve Carell in his ridiculous fantasy gaming chair with two flight sticks glued <laughs> to it. It's just like, all right, well, that's not clearly like, you know, I mean, I don't know. And not that I'm going out of realism or any shit right. like that, but it's just, yeah, I, it, it hits on that same vibe. That okay. Maybe it's it's overkill a little bit. Like I said, though, the comedy works much better in structured scenes versus this kind of open improv stitch, if only for better editing, uh, especially if anything, the sister's family, which I would have taken a whole movie of these two. Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann are incredible in this and uh, have just constant amazing bits of just them bickering and at each other's throats. They work well together. It's so See, good. <laughs> so Judd Apatow brings it back there and this is 40 and they oh, play and they're yeah, yeah. two together. And she, by the way, she is the wife of Judd Apatow, I'm pretty sure. In real life? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know that. And she's in basically all of his films. Yeah. But the Paul Rudd and, and Leslie Mann, they're good together. It, it's absolute gold. It's yeah. the best part about the movie. Oh, maybe um, This Is 40 will be a, a watch soon then. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I mean, that's still Apatow, technically. So Writing, writing and directing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have the, just this fantastic hate-filled marriage that just it, – it, it's great because it acts as tension because as uh, Rogan and Heigl are, are watching this unfold – they're like, oh God, what is going to happen to us? Like, right. they, don't, they don't want the relationship. Uh, and then on top of that as well, I mean, these scenes are just so great. I mean, I seriously think the both of them steal the show for both of their respective supporting roles. Hmm. 
man completely kills any scene she's in. And you actually see Heigl kind of taking a step back in a lot of her performance here. I feel like Heigl was kind of disappointing in the performance just because, man, she's on screen. She she is able to steal the entire spotlight away from her. And to the point that Heigl later on in the film seems to be copying her as well. So <laughs> it's, it's really a, a standout. Um, and uh, as far as some of those standout scenes, I think any scene with Leslie Mann freaking out is amazing my favorite is the the child predator tracking site that she just just bites the head off of paul rudd when he says it's like chicken pox it's great and and of course more bro time with rogan and rudd which i think is a highlight here and and really great without a doubt the tripping scene in vegas being the best of the movie and really solid stuff uh for the study uh you know i'm happy to see where this movie works where it doesn't most importantly, coming up for Walk Hard, uh, the Dewey Cox story, how Apatow can thrive in a full parody style structuring his great comedy. Mm. He's got the comedy stru- uh, chops. I just feel like it needs to be in the right shell. And uh, I'm excited for us to talk about Walk Hard and that reason because he's definitely going to be trying to fit into a shell rather than doing his own thing. I think I feel like this film is a slight tick up from 40-year-old version working in a much different way. The films work in different ways. Yeah, definitely. But, but still having that same gooey rom-com center, we're going to go ahead and give Knocked Up 2007 a 69. Okay, 69. Pretty good comedy. I think I think it belongs right there, honestly. And yeah. I felt the same way. I thought your 40-year-old version was like right on the mark as well. Mm-hmm. These are good comedies, mm-hmm. kind of fitting. It, it, it fits in a certain place. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the mood for something like this, go ahead and throw it on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knocked Up is one that I have seen before, and I always you know, remembered very fondly. So okay. I feel like watching this again, I remembered things funnier than they were. <laughs> ah. yeah, so it wasn't like, uh, like we'll touch on with Black Dynamite, coming back to these jokes and being like, wow, this is like... Like still a gold mine. <laughs> uh, if anything, it was dated in weird ways, and, and certainly the same for Forty uh, Year Old Version. Last week we brought up, we were like, "Oh, it was, didn't he have to do with Talladega Nights and anything like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Or, or Step Brothers?" Yeah, and I forgot the whole Adam McKay separate comedy run yes. as well. And who knows? By episode two hundred, maybe we'll have at McKay covered a little bit and Apatow covered. And we can kind of see who is the better at the rate of oh, our comedy sure. or something. Yeah, you yeah. Know, a little who bit gets of, the the crown of the two thousands? Right, the head to head battle between yeah. those two. That really is the head to head, isn't too. it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's keep it moving here. We are jumping two years ahead. This is two thousand and nine. And this is Black Dynamite. <laughs> Let's get into it. I didn't get a chance to watch it this week. I really oh, wanted really? to. Oh, I, I know. I had watched it, though, in the past. Too busy with Major League. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let's just jump into it. How did you like Black Dynamite? Oh, man. Well, I, I kind of gave up uh, gave up the goat a little bit on this one. I mean, this is something that uh, returning to it, it was such a joy. Tom, uh, I have no clue how we first watched this back in the day. I watched it. It's... This was, we we were hanging out at our friend Dylan's house, and one of the many days after school, and we must have caught it on Showtime or something like that. And it, yeah. Unbelievable. Like, I, I have no idea how this landed on our radar <laughs> at all, no less like still something that we referenced today. And not only that, I thought it was, I didn't realize it was 2009. Yeah. Because it, like it, it resembles so much of those old black exploitation films. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. It, what was that late somewhere in that seventies era, absolutely. which we covered in our we had a black exploitation special. Yeah, and this is right there in the same alley. But 
I mean, oh nine mm. to have such a, like a a punching, funny black exploitation. I mean, it, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> I, I mean, I I absolutely adore this film. And if anything, I had to. This one was something that I had to kind of uh, tone back uh, a little bit of my love for this because I feel like it is such a. I don't know, tough comedy for it to hit all the way 100% for people because they not only have to understand what's being parodied, they have to kind of get some of the unique comedy. There's also like jokes per, you know, at a mile per minute, which, (laughs) you know, I'll I'll explain a little bit. But when it comes down to that, I I really do adore this film just because it has such a maximalist style. It has such a, every inch of the film is a joke. And uh, I I really, really, yeah, I just love it to death. And it's, it's an hour and 24. It's quick and it just goes. Yeah. It's, the way I look at it is you're either on the ride or you're mm-hmm. not. You're either yeah. on or off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And for I real. feel like that's how this is. It, it, yeah. it, I don't know if anybody can watch this film and be like, yeah, I kind of liked it. <laughs> it's, it's not a film that grants that. Right. You're no. in or you're out. You're in or you're out, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, I, I, I love, this was the one piece that I was really, really happy to cover for 100th because it's something that we have referenced I don't know about double-digit episodes, but we definitely referenced it on the Black Sportation episode. Mm-hmm. We definitely referenced it on uh, when we did the They Clone Tyrone a few weeks back. Oh, yeah. Yep. And has been something in our DNA as kind of movie watchers for such a long time. So, <laughs> you know, Black Dynamite is the love child of 2000s genre parody movies and, of course, 70s Black Sportation and also kung fu action films. It became popular enough to get a spin-off show with Adult Swim running from 2011 to 2015. Mm-hmm. Say what you will. I mean, I, I like Adult Swim stuff. Is it is it really the biggest accolade that they got Adult Swim? <laughs> so I don't know, but good on them and, and and bred some bred some life into into you know more than just one movie because I think a second movie would would be inappropriate. You know, it'd be it'd be uh, it just kind of dull every joke. Yeah, to yeah, it, yeah. So and, and personally, folks, while I get a lot of the jokes uh, and and we'll refer to this for definitely the second um, our, our second film coming up uh, getting the jokes you know I'm a fan of a lot of these 70s films I, I think the movie is so packed to the brim with comedy that it'll work for many many viewers here um, oh really yeah I feel like this has and and uh, I'll explain a little bit more such a a Mel Brooks style or mm. even a Zucker Abrams style where I don't know if maximalist is too highbrow of a of a term, but there's there's jokes in every inch of the film. Whether it's the music, whether it's puns in the background, whether it's uh, running jokes, running gags, uh, slapstick humor. You know, it's just like dripping in comedy. That I feel like, in just the same way that we talked about with airplane. Even though you know uh, one joke may not hit for you, you got seven lined up that will... <laughs> something's gonna wear you down. That's right. That's the thing. Is it gonna be? That's when I say you. Either on or you're off the train, right, right? Because I could find people really rolling their eyes and just being like, "This is so dumb." <laughs> yeah. You really, you have, you got to sink into it. You yeah. got to sink into it because it's so much, and some of the jokes can be so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the Mel Brooks thing definitely. Yeah, I like that comparison. It's funny though that you think that it, it might be enough to hit for everybody though. I, I think so because of the wide ranging um, and. And, and it also, and we'll we'll touch on this honestly with uh, with Outlaw Johnny Black, but it has. It's more than just black exploitation. It's kind of all of seventies films. Mm, it's yeah. kung fu. It's equally like kung fu. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like it's it's definitely Bruce Lee inspired. Uh, it's definitely in the realm of like a Maverick, Dirty Harry, Black Dynamite is an ex CIA agent. You know what I mean? He doesn't play by the rules. Uh, and then of course, you know, it is obviously so directly for black exploitation. But I feel like there's more. I feel like if you appreciate any kind of '70s cinema, this this could you know, oh, this it's scratching an itch big yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Folks, let me break it down. Black Dynamite is honestly, I think, one of the best parody movies because it serves as one of the better movies in the genre it rips off. Without a doubt, this has this Mel Brooks style that I've been referring to here uh, because nothing is taken seriously and every scene, every ounce of this film mm. serves a joke in some way. This has a, what I'm going to be calling kind of a jokes per minute aspect to it, uh, whether it be rapid fire puns or background jokes that kind of linger and whether you catch them or you don't that uh you know it, it earlier in my life watching films i would always call that just a mailbook style but as i grow older obviously through diving into you know head first into watching more movies than i've ever watched in my life on the <laughs> podcast you know, I find this aspect all over for creative teams. And here in Black Dynamite, every inch of the comedy real estate is used. Nothing is left without a joke. Nothing is left without a it's ridiculousness. Every, it. yeah, yeah, every minute is milked. On, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my man Spawn himself, Michael Jai White, uh, is incredible. Mikey is not, un unfortunately, he is very plainly a quantity over quality actor. You look at his his acting portfolio, and it's not great. He's all over the place. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, he's he's next uh, next to probably uh, Steven Seagal in in the type of movies he's going <laughs> oh, after. Okay, interesting. Uh, so I wish he was. Uh, he got the love uh, a little bit more. He, or, or he kept maybe. this character. He he was also playing the character in the show as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah he was doing the voice. So, and, and and in some way, you know, when it comes to his comedy chops in this, uh, if anything, if I looked at this and was going in blind, I would doubt it. But where I would not doubt it is above all the action, and that's where this kind of falls into a piece where I think this works as. Not only a good black exploitation parody, but also one of the best black exploitation films that you can watch. I would buy that completely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, Mikey is a true badass uh, in this, and I, I really mean that. Um, it might be the single key to why I would call this an actually good movie uh, beyond just the spoof genre. Constantly, he is throwing out the most lethal kicks <laughs> you have ever goddamn seen. Like every <laughs> kick out of this guy is like, okay, oh yeah, that guy's dead. That guy's actually dead. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the action in this movie still serves the comedy, but it, it is just elevated so, so much about uh, through amazing martial arts from Michael Jai White. And luckily, that is the one piece that is maintained going into Outlaw Johnny Black. That yeah. Michael Jai White is just an absolute killer on screen. And uh, I mean, I think we've talked about action so much this year. Mm -hmm. If the choreography isn't there, then I almost don't want the action. The choreography is here, and then also the action performance is here, and it really brings it home. Okay. I mean, I'm telling okay. you, every kick out of this guy is, it is feels lethal. Legit. It's yeah. a lethal weapon. <laughs> it's no <laughs> joke. And when it comes to just, just a sidebar from Michael Jai White, I, I, by no means can I stop his his massive acting repertoire? I mean, there's one that looks so much like a like a red box or voodoo ripoff of Mission Impossible. It's not even funny. It's it's <laughs> oh my God. It looks so bad. 
But in case this gets to Mr. White at all, um, listen, there has been uh, some casting peril for the God of War uh, Amazon show. Apparently, oh. The Rock was in the in the chopping block. He's out, which I think is good. I think The Rock's too big of a personality for that. Kratos, Kratos needs to be kind of punished, and but but equally badass. Okay. And let me tell you, if there is someone to do it, it's Michael Jai, uh, wow, Jai White. Wow, that's I, a big... I'm telling you. Really? He's jacked. He's got the physique for it. Kratos is already voiced by uh, an actor that is, uh, you know, similar looking, but he's a little too old for it now. He's from the old Stargate shows. Okay. Uh, but let me tell you, I mean, not that my opinion on casting goes anywhere. It goes into the <laughs> void is where it goes. <laughs> for folks. the birds. Yeah, for the birds. But I'm telling you, this would be some dream <laughs> casting. Okay. I want to see some kicks out of Kratos <laughs> in the God of War show. I would say uh, another highlight here is that this has just some of the best supporting cast you can ever find in a parody movie, and in that way, mm, yeah, it mimics the best of the black exploitation films that we covered. That these the supporting cast were the you best. Love parts. the supporting for a lot of the times, yeah, yeah. In Superfly, like it, it's it's the best part of it. So you know, this has a perfect distilling of that Chappelle show style of character right out of the player haters ball. You know, it's it's just so many roles. Again, it's it might be exhausting at a certain point, but so many roles just kind of pop up. They're seconds on the screen. It's a pimp named like Chocolate Giddy Up or something like that, or or Cream Corn. Cream Corn. Yeah, yeah. Tasty Freeze is Arsenio <laughs> yeah. Hall. Yeah, and it's just like it, it's it's endlessly entertaining. These little bit characters. Uh, actually, I, I would say the cream of the cast is Cream Corn, played by uh, Tommy <laughs> Davidson, uh, who has just such a great scene in the in in a diner. If you haven't seen this film folks just look up the diner scene where he's just just absolutely berating this poor waitress <laughs> <laughs> this, this crazy complex order it's just so great and, and I, I think what I'm, what I'm driving home here is that all these scenes are are backed by a true-to-form soundtrack that is yet even more space for jokes mm. uh, I feel like supporting cast and soundtrack kind of fit in this whether you get it or you don't uh, aspect of black exploitation that uh, I feel like I have an appreciation for it because I know these films. I still think they work just as funny on their own because they're outrageous characters. And the soundtrack you can obviously hear yeah. is, is, is you know. It is 100%. Yeah. yeah it really is. It doesn't let up. Everything. It drips, oozes yeah. comedic aspects. Exactly. That's what kind of leads me to the big question I struggled with on this review. Does the enjoyment of this depend on how much you get the parody? And I, I would say, you know, like like I, I mentioned in the beginning, folks, this is a parody on all 70s films rather than just exploitation. It's it's very e equally in kind of a Bruce Lee-style action movie as shades of this kind of maverick, dirty, hairy cop style that is poked fun at. But I, I'm still not 100% sure someone totally unfamiliar with 70s cinema would get this mm. you know what i mean uh, or it would hit for them yeah maybe it would just be stupid exactly yeah, yep that ridiculousness would be you know rubber and glue basically yeah, yeah. you know what i mean it just it just would not go so i would say this was a big film 
where I felt I had to dial back some of my love and put on my critic <laughs> hat here. Um, admittedly, the plot loses uh, some steam when it gets wackier and wackier towards the end, uh, and especially when more than just black exploitation is parodied towards the end of the film. Uh, and, and while my heart, in, in my heart, folks, I, I want to give this probably a good five to ten more points. I feel strongly about how much the comedic setup in this movie is in every inch of it. You know, that, that type of commitment, that type of care put into it from the writing team, uh, who is uh, Michael J. White and Bullhorn, mm-hmm. uh, the actor that plays Bullhorn in this. That commitment... We talked about that in our Zucker Abrams comedy study, and it's always what I've known Mel Brooks for, and it's basically just an immense love of telling a true-to-form comedy, a comedy 100%, you know what I mean? The purpose is jokes, the design is jokes, and it's in every inch of the film, and that love shown in the comedy is why I believe that will translate to most audiences. We're going to go ahead and give Black Dynamite 2009 a 73. Yes, I mean seventy three is a great score. He goes, oh boy! I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know what you were coming out with there. Yeah. Uh, seventy three is a very good score. That's just a that's just a good movie right there. I, I think, that's yeah. where that sits. It, it like I said, I would love nothing more to give it a seventy nine, and then just more so argue for the eighty. That's but... the thing, I, and it's such a weird movie. I can just find it. It's, it's just so polarizing. Mm-hmm. That's and I just keep keep on going to either in or you're out. <laughs> you know, yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people coming off of this are going to be in your shoes, where it's going to. You want to give it ten or five points more, yeah. But you know, it's like okay, but and, okay, let's just tame it down a little bit. Really enjoy. It. It's like me with Major League. Got to just bring it back a little bit. Got to calm down. Does no laces. Come on now. Right, right. <laughs> but a seventy-three percent for Black Dynamite, Vin. I think that, that that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me happy. All right, folks. So let's go ahead and jump into our producer segment. So Vin, for the one hundredth episode, we have two producers Ooh, coming in. Ooh, look at that. And you know, we've got. Once again, friends of the show, and I was mm. surprised because these two already donated in the '90s. I was not expecting another oh, donation from okay. them. Yeah. I thought we kind of gave the, the, the thought they already gave their value. Kind uh, of. I'm excited to hear who, who who chimed in. And we have both their executive producers because they both donated a hundred bucks. A true <laughs> hundy on the hundy. God knows we've been talking about it for how long. So it, he's it. been pitching it since June, <laughs> folks. So listen, I mean, I'll just say, so we have Brandon Beebe and, oh, uh, and Sean Dunleavy coming in again. Fantastic. And Brandon just donated. Sean donated recently, like I said, in the 90s. It's it's incredibly appreciated. So we'll just start with Brandon. I mean, he just came in and said, hey, hundy on the hundy, congrats to you both. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, wow. uh, Brandon, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. I mean, you are been... You are closest to a directorship we need to bring up. Oh, yeah. So uh, Why don't we talk about that when, just a tiny bit? When you donate a total amount of value of $500, you're now considered a director of the daily rating. So it's a fun little title we give you. So mm-hmm. whether you want to be director Brandon, director BB, you make up a name. You want to be director <laughs> Sonic? That's how that's how we will address you when you do five when you donate a total of five hundred bucks you go ahead and pick a name you also get to pick a movie for Vin to watch yes and uh, you also get sent a goodie bag as well but Brandon is approaching that five hundred dollar marks so we thank you so so much you have been donating like a fiend you've been here since the beginning uh, it's it's so appreciated the value you're getting is mm. it's great to see so Absolutely. thank you so much and and the ones guy said Sean's coming in he's donated almost God knows close to, to probably ten times already as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Sean writes, wow, 100 episodes. What a great accomplishment. I hope you guys can take a few moments to step back and see where you were at a year ago, even two years ago. Mm. What started as a podcast idea is now a website, newsletter, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube entertainment. <laughs> Are we paying him or is he paying us? (laughs) He's on the take. This has grown so much over the past 100 episodes. It's been fun to watch from the sideline. You are building a fun community of people who love to talk movies. Keep up the great content and keep being yourselves. Oh, that's great. That's great. Which I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. And by the way, you haven't been sitting on the sideline. You have been a producer of the Daily Ratings. (laughs) And we can't thank you enough, Sean. I I can't say, I mean, and yeah, we'll keep being ourselves because it's... Uh, I feel like if there's anything that I think about when, when you know, this is prospectively a project that's going to go for another hundred episodes, another hundred episodes after that, is just trying to be as genuine as possible. Yeah. Because I feel like any moment that I've slipped into yeah, trying to maybe make a review more than what it's meant to be and this is meant to be a watching guide right i feel like that's when we break away from the idea that we had originally that it was just you and me on a uh, on a couch You're sitting on a couch talking about movies you know i mean i feel like that keeping that in in focus in in the sights is important and and being as genuine and as real as possible yeah the essence of what the daily ratings is it's is it worth a watch? Mm-hmm. Watching a movie here and now, is it worth a watch? And here's a quick review before you watch the film. Exactly. Uh, and the dozens and scores and scores of movie podcasts that are out there mm. that will spend a ton of time on one film. Some of them I like. Uh, sure. I actually don't like too many film podcasts, actually. I think we do a pretty good job here. But it's just a fact of it's the really for heavy movie fans. Mm. This is a podcast where it's really for everybody. Yeah. If you're a huge fan of film, we have mm-hmm. five a week where you can hang out with us for a week, and we're sure. all and we're just having an open dialogue. We're talking about quick reviews, and we're in and we're out. Mm-hmm. But also for the person who isn't a huge movie fan, but genuinely interested in a specific film here or there, mm-hmm. wondering if a film is actually worth a watch, it's not a chore to listen. <laughs> you can turn on any episode, go to any movie, and it's going to be a quick ten to yeah. twenty minute segment that you have to sit through that you'll probably enjoy. Yeah, and more importantly, well- a utility to basically say, hey, is this film worth your time, you know? Which is also why most people and almost all other movie podcasts uh, Mm. don't have a website like we do. (laughs) We've created a straight database where, I gotta tell you, even Rotten Tomatoes, uh, only recently they did a rebranding of their website, which I still doesn't don't think looks all that great. Okay, but they're this huge company. They've been around for twenty five years, and they just added stuff on their site that like we've had that we have already. Mm-hmm. Like weird, like specific stuff about films and everything. Wow. Wow. I was shocked to find that out. It's not many people are doing it like like us. Yeah, and yeah. again, we'll, we'll be happy to pat ourselves on the back on episode one hundred <laughs> here. But folks, it really is. It's just me and Vin. It's probably. Well, it's not probably. It's over a thousand hours each of spending time into this so far. Mm. Just setting up the website, putting movies on, watching the film, yeah. the hours and hours of writing all your all your your pages, your paragraphs of notes. Pages. Uh, me making sure the mics are right, which sometimes I get that wrong. It's a busy deal over here, but. The point is, it's it's a huge amount of effort that Vin and I put in this a week. The the amount of hundreds of hours before we even a- were able to launch what we had to put into this. Oh, sure. Uh, absolutely. We're doing it because we personally love it. We're having a blast doing this. Mm-hmm. But it means the world to us to see that people are also enjoying it. 
we were kind of maybe expecting to have maybe a, a, a few more faces stop by, a few, a few more producers this episode. But uh, to, to have Sean and Brandon continue to produce, it's it, it's incredible. And I'll just say, I mean, every week I say, hey, more and more the numbers are, are, are rising. Mm-hmm. So we can definitely see people are enjoying it and coming back week after week. So if you are getting value from this, if you're into film more than what you were a year ago, uh, even let's say you were going to go to the movies and, and see something, but decided to wait till it was free on streaming mm. based on a VIN, uh, VIN review. And then sure enough, after watching it, you said to yourself, thank God I didn't go and waste a movie <laughs> ticket on that film. Didn't waste buying the popcorn, 15 bucks on a soda. That's value in your pocket legitimately. And if you could, do you feel like buying VIN a movie ticket for that? Or do you just want to show us the value you're getting? You can go to the dailyratings.com and you go to the donations tab. And there's set amounts, monthlies, there's a weekly, but there's also the value for value donation. And that's whatever amount of value you feel you're getting from the show, you can go ahead and send that our way along with the note, just like Sean and Brandon did this week. And what that does also, it makes you a producer, a legit producer of the daily ratings. All of you who have produced over the past 100 episodes, we've had some new people come this year. The beginning of the year, we had a lot of new folks mm, coming yep. in and just telling us how much they're enjoying it, how much value they're how much value they're getting. It's really great. It's really encouraging for us to see the engagement and also see kind of the numbers going up and up. So if you could, you go to the dailyratings.com and, and, and send us a donation, become a producer of the daily, daily ratings. And also a way to produce is please tell someone about it. If you're enjoying the show, hey, and if you're talking about movies with somebody, you hear somebody else talking about movies. Get us in the conversation a little bit. That's where we want to be. It's been a great 100 episodes. We cannot wait for the next 100. We have a huge show coming up in two in two episodes from now, our biggest show that we've ever done. That's going to be really great. And some fun stuff on, on, on the horizon. Vin and, Vin and I have been talking and we're thinking about adding a new kind of special as well, mm. where some of our specials really lately have been essential watching guides, basically. Mm-hmm. So we have the stop motion essential, zombie, uh, zombie, zombie yep, essential. Yep. And then we also go through our series. So we mm-hmm. have Star Trek. We have Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And we think that we kind of want to also add in a third type of special in there, which is a daily deep dive special. Mm-hmm. Out of our over 1,000 films rated... We have only 10 to 15, actually above a 90%. Yeah. We would think it's good to maybe highlight those in a longer episode. We've even been hit up separately by people saying, why don't you do longer? Why don't you spend more time on films? Sure, sure. And that's our time to do this. Films that we really love. Films that we think are some of the best ever in the past 100 years of cinema. Yep. And we might highlight those so you can look forward to some of those specials coming out in the future. Really going deep dive on some of those single very large films. And we think that's kind of going to be fun as long with other great specials that we have planned for the future as well. So great seeing the people that have been along for the journey and new people that are coming on every week. It's awesome to see. Okay, Finn. All right. So we'll keep on moving here. Let's jump to our new release, our now in theaters films. We'll start with the one that's a little bit harder to maybe go see, might be in a theater near you. Uh, Do you know what I did to go see this? uh, You traveled to go see this. I drove to Ben Salem. (laughs) I drove 40 miles for this. Okay. So let's jump into it. This is a new release. This is Outlaw Johnny Black. We have some familiar faces in this. So let's get into it right away, Vin. Uh, What's this film about and how does it pair up with maybe Black Dynamite as well? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, folks, uh, I, I was stunned by the announcement of this movie, but I don't know if this lands on too many people's radar, even if 
if you are a fan of Black Dynamite. Uh, a spiritual successor to Black Dynamite was honestly a dream come true, come true for me this year, but I think it is a tough sell for even the fans of the movie to be aware of this. Uh, it's a switch up in yeah. naming, it's a switch up in parody, and unless you're really tracking the individual actors, even Michael Jai White, who is now first time directing here, it's, I, I just don't know how this, this film you know, really gets to even the people that want to see it. Point in case I had to drive 40 miles to see this. <laughs> 11 a.m. showing. It was, yeah, I, don't know. I don't think it's on a lot of people's radar. I mean, it, it fits into the cult following. Yeah. Just like these, a film like Black Dynamite has a cult following. Sure. There's only the people are going to be interested in it. But I feel like this movie might punch in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I, I was certainly hopeful. You know, this movie swaps the parody subject from black exploitation and 70s kung fu out for a singular Western theme. And, um, I think that has potential. Both are old types of movies with a rich background of tropes and cliches that you can basically make as many jokes as possible at. But equally, I feel like they are challenged because the parody may not hit for the mass appeal of audiences unfamiliar with the genre. And this is where, like I spoke in the last review, uh, the get it factor. Yeah. Do you get the parody? And I feel like it's so much more on a knife edge for that. So Vin walked in today, and the first thing I said was, I think this is the film for me. (laughs) (laughs) And my immediate reaction to kind of just watching clips of it, uh, speaking of Mel Brooks, Mm. I mean, this takes me... It's uh, Blazing Saddles. This takes me right back to Blazing Saddles, Mm, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Tom, it brings me no joy. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh Uh-oh. I know. Bad, huh? Uh, This movie just doesn't hit. I I think it's important that I be real about it. I mean, coming off the... Yeah, I don't, of course. off the, the genuine, you know, aspect here. I feel like it's important that I'm real about it because I am someone that got all the jokes and all the stylings and all the parody uh, to the Western. Mm. This this is mix, missing some magic. Maybe it's just been too many years a little bit. Wow, um, that, it surprises me because the writing yeah. team's the same. A writing team's identical. Yeah. Uh, and really the only person we're missing is the director of Black Dynamite, but not that he had a huge filmography to be like, oh, that was a you know a pillar of the yeah. talent you yeah. know there. It was just you know I I feel uh, like uh, Michael J White directing here not a bad thing whatsoever, but just yeah, unfortunately this movie just did not hit. Uh, Michael J White returns kicking some serious ass and uh, directing for his first time as far as a feature film goes. And really, folks, my only concern going into this film, I mean, I kind of almost walked into blindly into gunfire, you know, thinking that this was. Was gonna be like I was gonna like it, right? But my only concern walking into this was that how is that fighting action going to be stripped out and possibly replaced with like new gunslinging scenes? Um, I'm happy to say Mike does plenty of amazing up close fights where it works, and his kicks are still like the best He's thing still- ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like this is he is it's many years later. Now. I mean, oh yeah, Black Dynamite was 09. Absolutely, He's still jacked. He's still he looks uh, good. Yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, he needs to get into better action films because martial arts wise he, he kicks some serious acts <laughs> Uh, but folks, uh, something is missing from this movie, sadly, and it, it just breaks my heart because, <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I, I was never asking for a sequel to Black Dynamite. I did not expect a sequel ever right. to Black Dynamite. So this was something I was pretty excited for, and and possibly there was an element of overhype. 
Uh, unfortunately, there's there's just something missing in the in the formula here. Black Dynamite's comedy worked because it was one supremely ridiculous, every ounce of it. Okay. Uh, two, uh, you know, I think a soundtrack that worked both as parody and you know as a real good soul soundtrack to a black exploitation film. Thirdly, had an amazing supporting cast that gave kind of just these golden comedic performances that got in and got out. They didn't, you know, out, outstay their welcome. Uh, this movie slips a little bit in each one of those. Uh, the movie has the a, a slightest bit of a more serious tone and tips into being not very funny at all. This is closer to being kind of a knockoff Django Unchained mm, okay. uh, than being Black Dynamite. Uh, many scenes are taken entirely serious, especially origin type of scenes. Uh. You know, where I don't think a single scene, period, was taken seriously in Black Dynamite. <laughs> so, you know, not even saying that Django Unchained Jingle and Chain is kind of funny at times. Certainly yeah, has that, a Tarantino humor. A ridiculousness to it. at times, yeah. Yeah, and and this film tries more to be a kind of a Tarantino humor to it, dark, ultra violent, like that. But that's not why Black Dynamite worked because Black Dynamite was one hundred percent comedy, and this is just you can't be on know. that roller coaster that cl- <laughs> cl- uh, clown nose on and then off. Yes, it, it's just it's too jarring. Yes, you need to be in a lane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a perfect example of this is uh, Bullhorn is in this again. <laughs> I forget uh, uh, something. Mins Byron Mins Byron Mins. Yeah, yep. as well, he's, the, he's also a writer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can see it in this character that he comes in and he has that energy uh, that is in Black Dynamite. Up until the film, up until that point in the film, that energy was not there. And they sit down at a campsite, and there's like some similar, like just like out of place funny jokes, but like they're so shocking that it's just like, oh, this is great. He gets punched at one point. It's 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 awesome. But it feels like so night and day for what the film is going for as kind of a, a semi-functional Western uh, up until that point. Mm, yeah, uh, and okay. again, closer to Django Unchained than, than Black Dynamite. I also think the focus is in the wrong place because it's so central on Johnny Black that we get nowhere near the amount of love given to supporting cast. And I cannot stress enough, supporting cast is why Black Dynamite works so well because mm, okay. we're constantly being introduced to these little funny bit characters once again, it's part I of think the magic. in a Western genre, you have the same quality going into a no-name town and uh, you know, man with no name type of aspect, and you know, the townies and the hicks and all that. But when it comes down to it, nothing is really done with those characters. They're all very plain. They're all very just Western characters. Mm. Then they're, they're objectives. Just plug and play. It's almost like you're checking off boxes. Yeah, we oh, need this character. We need this guy. Yeah, yeah, and, and important for the parody, but. Th- when every inch of it isn't being used for a joke, I think this is It's falling where, flat. Yeah, it's falling flat, unfortunately. This has a good handful of returning actors, for sure, but honestly, none of uh, the roles were working you know, close uh, anywhere close to as how they worked in Black Dynamite. And you can feel it in that opening ramp up again of the, pot, of the plot that doesn't have the joke, jokes per minute aspect needed. It's taken much more as kind of a serious, not serious, but a, a campy, a, a B-movie type of Western backstory to it. Certainly comedic in ways, but not comedy. Not Black Dynamite yeah, comedy. not Black Dynamite <laughs> comedy. I would say the ingredients that are still here hit, and it's that action with Michael Jai White. 
uh, and definitely some of the comedy in the right places. But even the movie genre parody, I feel, is weaker here, having so much less real estate to work with in this Western styling. Some aspects, I think, are, are just drop balls in comedic writing. Uh, music is a perfect example of this. You look at Black Dynamite, you have these soulful ballads, they're telling stories, it's like the guy's just talking over <laughs> the music, Like, but that's the style. That's the point, yeah. That's the point. I feel like music's a perfect example of a drop ball here is because... You have just of a rich uh, specifics to Western music. Mm -hmm. uh, is it the classic Western style, or is it kind of this spaghetti Western electric guitar? Is it like these ballads, like a like a the old OG the old Django? School. Yeah, yeah, uh, or the songs that type uh, that the songs that like a Tarantino would pull from that are like still have lyrics in it, and that can be comedic jokes in the music. None of that is really done. And it's just for basic kind of cookie-cutter Western music. Yeah, it's yeah. just cookie-cutter, you know, I wonder, tumbleweed with, with Michael Jai White in So In Control, I wonder if he wanted it to be taken seriously. He wants to be taken seriously, his character. Possibly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't know what happened here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as you can tell, I'm sad. I'm, uh, boy, I was rooting for this film. But I, I think it, it, it's a tremendous loss opportunity with everything you can do from these Western stylings, uh, a Wilhelm screen, making maybe making fun of like, okay, corral and different things like that. And it's weird because I feel like maybe they thought they were stepping on the toes of a Blazing Saddles or other type of mm -hmm. parody Westerns. What's that god-awful one with uh, Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane? Yeah, that was uh, in my mind too. That, oh, that terrible one. Yeah. Once well, Upon a Time in the West. Oh, uh, no. 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 <laughs> careful now. It's close uh, to that. It's Once Upon a Time. I didn't care about that movie either. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's A Thousand Ways to Die in the West or something like uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I feel like maybe they were trying to avoid Old Hat already in that parody. Uh, but by doing that, they don't really act on anything unique or, or of its own, sure. or, and, and most of all, not funny. Now, granted, That's tough. I went into a eleven forty showing, eleven twenty or eleven forty. I forget what it was. Uh, you know, bright and early. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite showings. Right. I'm surprised how many people were actually in the theater. No joke. There was just no laughter. It was it was dead. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and and again, heartbreaking. Uh, it was not what I wanted. <laughs> not what I wanted at all. So, I'm sorry, folks, but. I was so excited for this and rooting for this so hard. Rooting for uh, Michael J. White. Yeah. First time director. Good on him. I want to see more from him. But I think the biggest aspect that hurts this film is it's impossibly too long. Mm, Pacing yeah. is a double dose of molasses. Of both Two horror. hours and ten minutes. Yeah. A movie like this cannot be that long. Yeah. It, it cannot be. It's, it's compounded both by that runtime... Also, it's compounded by that slower Western stylings. Yeah. All things equal, I feel like this story has to unfold a little slower to fit into the Western genre, mm -hmm. parody or not. So, you know, not to make this entire review a comparison to the first, but you can see it clear in that runtime. First film, an hour, 24 minutes, this Two hours fifteen, two hours ten. It's uh, it's it's way too long. Yeah. It doesn't mean that this needs to be an hour twenty and four. Right, because if anything, but, that's boy. maybe an outlier. Maybe that's too short. You know what I mean? But for Black Dynamite, it's just it's electric. Yeah. For this, like you said, okay, maybe naturally have to be a little bit slower. Develop yep. more of a western type of thing. It can't mm -hmm. be so fast, but still, yeah. two ten. Mm. It's just pushing it. I know. It's like I know. chop off twenty minute, half an hour probably. Yeah, yeah, and and, and maybe that is what kind of shows that. The jokes per minute 
they are diluted yeah. actually yep. Yep. you know maybe maybe you know the joke focus is there but it just it didn't hit because it wasn't side by side mm-hmm. uh, and they were stretched out a little bit more and it i mean i don't know I, even even reflecting on the film just right now i i think back to moments where like there's no jokes in the opposition. There's like this uh, rich white landowner that is the is the villain here, and like none of his stuff is joke oriented. Where in Black Dynamite, I mean, no spoilers, but like <laughs> Nixon <laughs> is in the movie as a joke. You know what I mean? So I, 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 it just ah man, it, it disappointment. It's yeah. it's a, it's a oh, disappointment. Man. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's a lot of heart put into this film, and believe me, I will be the first in line to see White's next film, no matter what. But sadly, this comes as a disappointing spiritual successor to one of the funniest parody movies uh, in 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 my experience watching. We're going to go ahead and give Outlaw Johnny Black a 36. Whoa, 36. I know. At 36%? It gives me no joy. Oh my god, that's bad. That's way worse than I thought I, it was going to be. And if anything, if I'm being honest, maybe that's that's kick gloves. Maybe that's maybe it deserves to be a little bit worse. Wow, it was that rough. I I, I like, can't believe that. I know. I I was walking out of that theater in this like desolate empty mall wow. wasteland and I was just like I was just I was just like I, I just disheartened. Was silence the whole way home. <laughs> no radio, no nothing. No, it, it wasn't even a percent a mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, that, that's that's how it's going to be worth it from now on. Percent a mile. That's um, wow, that's that's really shocked by that because so much of the same talent is there for the second one yeah it's western theme i mean like i said up my alley but okay 36 percent. wow and maybe if you do you know have the time re- I definitely rewatch black dynamite because i would love to see how it hits for you after so many years of us you know i'm excited to watch that again um but I'll also that after Major i would <laughs> <laughs> but i would also like you to watch this one because again i almost just want like man do you think I'd like it more because of the uh, the Western dressings? I'm hoping so. Mm-hmm. But again, that that's that's kind of where I started this off is like, I don't know how this hits for someone that doesn't get the things. I got it. But yeah, I don't know who how is this... this movie for. Right. This right. movie is for if you truly love Black Dynamite. Yeah. And White. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Wow. So. It's uh, not a lot of theaters. I mean, it's in 300 theaters. Right, it's yeah. probably going to be even less this coming weekend. Yeah. But uh, more so, I, I feel this um, this disappointment, this sadness because I don't. I, I want to give smaller movies a shot, and certainly uh, this was a movie I was really rooting yeah, for. Yeah. So. You were looking forward to this one. Yeah. But but uh, man, 36, one of the weakest of the years that we've had. I would say so uh, for Outlaw Johnny Black. Okay, let's keep it moving here. This is our last film, our new release. Still, this is a haunting in Venice. This is all part of. Of the rebirth of the um, Who Done It? Yes. Agatha Christie. But this is proper, still somewhat connected with the Nile movie. Yeah. Right? Yep. Death on a Nile and more Murder on the Orient Express. Yep. So basically it's directed by Kenneth Branagh, who's also stars in it. It's taking a big I'm jumping on the horror theme for this year. They know what <laughs> they clearly know what's hitting in the theaters right now. Yeah. So we're in Venice. It's a little bit more spooky themed. Uh spooky who done it. It is an hour and 43. It's snappy. It's rated PG-13. So how does all of that together work in this film? Mm, droll. Okay. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, uh, folks, it's another spin with Agatha Christie and director actor uh, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, my personal experience with this series, I only saw the first, 2017's Murder on the Orient Express. So I'll come right out and say give that a 55. Okay. Uh, as pre, pre-podcast, so I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe that uh, will hold up, or maybe it won't. I think it will hold up, though. <laughs> I think that works for that film, yeah. Uh, and I never saw the second one in 2002, on Death on the Nile. Um, we were running the podcast, too, not sure what happened there, just... <laughs> Just didn't do it. it. Just floated away. <laughs> yeah, I think that was like a February release or something. So, so a, a, as far as the competition goes, uh, peers, peer films resurrecting this whodunit genre yeah. is where I think something interesting is happening. Uh, we do have Knives Out, gave that a 40, but we did have Glass Onion, which I gave a 68. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's pretty good. In that Glass Onion review, you will see the same opinion I have today. I am not really rooting for these films to come back in any sort of way. Unless the whodunit evolves, I don't have a lot of praise for stylistic rewashes of old hat. Can I throw in one thing in there? Sure. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Mm, yes. You liked. And because it was fresh, new, and they did something different with the whole whodunit thing. Exactly. I, I'll make another comparison with the baseball stuff. This is this is the baseball of the 80s. This is the, <laughs> this is now the whodunit of the late yeah. teens in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And <laughs> this is going to be a shorthand <laughs> on the podcast now. Because it really is. It really is a rebirth from it. Yeah. And I don't really think anyone was asking for it. Again, the murder on the Orient Express on, what was that, seven, 2017, mm-hmm. it's the third or fourth time cinematically mm-hmm. done. Yep. Uh, but sure enough, they're sticking with it. Yeah. But again, here they're trying to put a horror aspect on it. Yeah. It's what's hot right now in theaters. It's what Body, Bodies, Bodies kind of was. Mm. And I was almost excited for you. I was like, maybe this is something for Vin, at least in this one. Yeah. Uh, but but really, uh, how I put that is, at least for these Agatha Christie direct uh, adaptations, this, I guess, is based off of Halloween Party. I, I don't know. I, I've never read any of, uh, of that stuff. Right. That's how I would really word it as just like these stylistic rewashes of old hat. It's 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 a new coat of paint that can be all someone needs, yeah. especially of lovers of whodunits or or maybe just someone that is new to this and discovering that they like kind of puzzling things together. Uh, but uh, just a rewatch. Maybe, maybe this is just it's really for the people who love this genre. Yeah, I can almost imagine it's like an Agatha Christie book. If you enjoy her books. Mm. Uh, okay, then you're excited for it. Yeah. Otherwise, the bulk of the population is, okay, so it's another Agatha Christie book. Exactly. We're doing the same thing, kind of. Exactly. And maybe that's just what the movies are now. Yeah, yeah. For that matter, I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know who was really asking for a third one with <laughs> in this little micro-series. It seems like <laughs> Branna is really like in charge of not only, I mean, he's obviously directing, he's acting as the main character. Uh, there's some praise there I can give maybe for you know a consistent character performance, but like who's who wants this? Let let haunting with in Venice out. Let let it out of the house. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, get on out of here. And he I, must uh, be pissed because <laughs> he's no Daniel Craig. Like people <laughs> love the Glass Onion crap oh, right. because people love to see like people love Craig in those films. Yep, yep. You know, as this larger than life like master detective. And type we of like thing. Kenneth Bran- Branagh and stuff, but. Yeah. Mm. 
I wasn't going to bring it up, but actually, um, I was talking with uh, producer Matt D uh, about uh, Belfast, uh, which was... Yeah, he knocked uh, it out of the park. I mean, killed it. That's yeah. an amazing movie. Uh, he must just love these stories to death. Yeah, he was getting paid a lot. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but if he's getting paid a lot, who's seeing these damn movies? I, I believe, oh, no. according to the newsletter, this was under the nun, too. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> Let's go on for some summary, folks. Once again, we follow Master Detective Her- Hercule Poirot, at the end of his days, grumpily retired in Venice. I don't know how you're grumpy in Venice, but I guess you can be grumpy anywhere. Uh, <laughs> Once again, Italy film, by the way. Right. We touched oh. up. Remember? Oh, wow. Yeah. Something about Italy. It's the new spot. Mm, it's the it's new, new ta- Georgia. It's <laughs> yeah. new Canada. It's new Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and got those tax breaks. Uh, as a slight wrinkle to this kind of age-old character, um, he's going through a bit of a crisis, losing his purpose in life through this life of leisure that he's taken on. It's just not kind of sitting well with him. We investigate a past murder through a spooky Halloween seance and plunges into a new murder mystery. This gives us our mansion to seal the suspects in, and Pierrot gets to work doing what he does best, finding the murderer. I don't have a huge amount of praise for this film. I would say cinematography is a highlight here, though. Um, the camera work has a priority on symmetry, almost feeling like a little bit of a slight Wes Anderson ripoff or imitation. If, yeah. You know, I don't want to be, you know. That surprises me in a film like this. Yeah. Um, it it kind of uh, tapers off, but definitely first hour, there's like almost an obsession with symmetry and kind of setting up our, our, our players, uh, if you will, uh, our character roles. And I think it's a good match because this kind of Venetian architecture bathes the setting in a gorgeous style. And then this Halloween theming is a unique spin on the typical romantic look of the setting. The romantic look of Venice. I feel like this is a a departure of that to depict it more gothic, more dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's an interesting match for the cinematography and something that, at least initially, I was really eyes peeled on this one. I would say there's not much of an Italian feel beyond that, though, uh, <laughs> since our all, ca- all of our cast has British accents. Um, presumably in a choice to fill this Agatha Christie stage play feel. Uh, I'm not actually sure I, why. I mean, again, I haven't read these books, but they're all British. So I was just like, I don't know. Tina Fey's doing a British accent? Uh, not British, but definitely like uh, a little bit like 40s proper. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, it's... It, it, bottom line, let me say it clear. <laughs> okay. We're not getting any more to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> this this needed... this. Let me tell you, I can't believe I'm saying this, Go Tom. Ahead. This needed a little bit of BFGW3. <laughs> And we needed some Italian, you know, we needed some Mediterranean in this. I mean, Christ. We <laughs> need some more to tell. You like that? Huh? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, without a doubt, though, this film does not boast the same advantages as previous entries, and certainly not its peer competition. And that's primarily a strong cast. I feel like if there's anything bringing back these whodunits, it's that. You get a good dice roll of what cast is being put in there. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I feel like that was half the driving point of Glass Onion. That That was three-fourths of the driving point. Yeah. I mean, all the big characters Mm -hmm. in there. Absolutely. That's why you watch. That's why you flip it on. Exactly. Exactly. So while I was happy to see both,
both Michelle Yeoh and Tina Fey here. I think acting performance leave a lot to be desired mm. in this. Um, across the board, uh, all accent work either feels bland or is flat out bad. And I, I know this is trying to have a horror spin, but everyone is in such a pronounced role in the whodunit setup mm -hmm. that I never felt the fear translate to film. Uh, I never felt the fear really being sold by these characters. It's hard to explain, but the mystery did not let the horror be anything more than style, be anything more than window dressing. If this was yeah, going to tout a horror mystery, I feel like it had to be at least a little scary. <laughs> That's um, PG-13. It's really hindering itself. Yeah. And then on top of what I mean by these, these characters are so ingrained in their role is that, the perfect example, you have a kid character that he's like a boy genius uh, in this. He plays a very particular role in, in how things unfold. But this is a child. He can be a little scared when there's some spooky ghost stuff. There's a, there's a seance done in this movie. Uh, I, I feel like characters are either trying to be too cool or have to having to play a specific type of role in being a red herring for the whodunit or uh, grabbing our attention uh, for suspicions of mm. who's going to be the killer that no one was ever scared in the horror. And that's where the horror was just kind of windows dressings on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, if, no one's, if the characters aren't playing up to what's supposed to be scary and spooky, yeah. then it's it's not hitting at all. Yeah. I doubt it's hitting the audience. It's, yeah. Exactly. And and, and especially in Branna playing Puro, uh, and then as well Tina Fey's character, they're just like too cool to be scared. You'll get a couple scenes where he goes to the bathroom and his hands are shaking a little bit, but then he's right back into it. And mm. it's just like, don't call this a horror. This yeah, is this yeah. is this is stylings at best. At best. I think we even made a comment like when it was just still being pitched and it was commercials. Yeah, yeah. That both of us were like, it actually might look right. a little spooky. Like, it, yeah. it seems like it had something going yeah. for it. Mm. Absolutely. So, and maybe that piggybacks off of some of my praise for the setting styling and things like that but uh, nothing more than just surface level there and uh, uh, folks I really tried to engage with this one if anything to overcome any disposition mm. I don't like whodunits I think they're predictable I feel like the story is prescribed it's shoveled out to you I, I really you know sat my ass down in the seat <laughs> And I was like, all right, I'm going to try to theorycraft alongside the master detective, and I'm, I'm going to try to get over <laughs> what I don't like <laughs> in, in these whodunits. And folks, I'm sorry, this story was not only boring to puzzle together, but unraveling and the unfolding of the mystery feels more prescribed than ever. The shit that that Hercule pulls out of his ass. I mean, it, it, it's not even a matter of paying attention to the beats. It just feels like there's just, it's, it's in a very bad way, a roller coaster. In a very bad way, on rails. Hmm. Um, hmm. And uh, I, I don't know how I maybe counter that in a film, because obviously it's a, it's a movie, it's a, the, the story is the story. It's not like it's uh, going to change or choose your own adventure or anything like that. But for some reason, these whodunits feel like there's it, it's got its mind made up by the seconds you're with the characters on the film. Yeah. That, that's at least some of my position here. And I think above all else, if I really had to address this to a haunting in Venice specifically, it was just boring. <laughs> oh, my God. So boring, so not scary. I mean, you think maybe the horror then would step in. It's right. just, no, no, it's not. <laughs> like I said, well, all these, um, if the dice roll 
of the cast hits for you folks. This movie, I think, will hit a lot more, but I'm feeling a pass on this entry, and hopefully we don't get a fourth. Let's go ahead and give A Haunting in Venice a 44. Ooh, 44. I mean, I don't know if we will. I don't know if the point is the trilogy. <laughs> right, right. But I don't know how many more everywhere. Christy, you know, uh, well, stories there are. I mean, there's going to be one more glass onion. Ryan oh, Johnson's going to do a third one. Sure, sure. And then, with, but then, what's his face? Uh, the, the murder mystery one and two. Jennifer Aniston and oh. uh, Adam Sandler. They murder mystery one, oh, murder mystery two on Netflix. I, I don't even know. That's, that's a who done it. I mean, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. Um, Thank God I didn't. Know I just that. don't think anyone. No one was asking for the Nile. No one was asking for Venice. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. This is a, it's a weird trend. Mm, it really I, is. I, I, they're all not making that much money, but. I don't know. It could be. Who knows? Who knows? But a forty-four percent is not boating very well. <laughs> no, oh no! Yeah, and, and believe me, I'll, I'll be happy to sing uh, Brandon's uh, praises as a director when he does something yeah. kind of apart from the series. And if you're craving my kind of commentary on that, folks, check out our, our review on Belfast. Yes, yeah. that really is a phenomenal movie. You really like that? Was a good. That was yeah. a definitely. I think a good we review. give it like an eighty-three or something. Yeah, like it, that, it was so. a really good film. Yeah. Uh, okay, Ben. So on our one hundredth episode here, anything? Any lasting notes? Anything to touch on or roll credits? <laughs> well. Like like I said, I I think it, just how I said in the in the uh, the producer segment, I think hundred episodes under my belt. My priority is being genuine, and if anything, I mean these were not stellar scores, but I tore apart something I was rooting for very hard. <laughs> I I think I ha- you know being genuine is the goal. Uh, happy to to have uh, episode one hundred be under our belts, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, happy to to do another four. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, on to the next 100, really. <laughs> yeah, so five f- movies a week to let die. <laughs> Uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed this 100th episode. Again, uh, if you're interested, go ahead and just stop by the dailyratings.com. You can check out all our extra content there. And if, if you want to show us some value back to us, just go to the donations tab. We appreciate all of you who have been on the ride joining us every single week. It's it's so great to see. Like I said, very, very encouraging. So, uh, Vin, thank you so much, Mr. Genuine Daily. And folks, we'll run it down one more time. We have Major League with a 60%, Knocked Up with a 60 69, Black Dynamite with a 73, Outlaw Johnny Black with a 36, and A Haunting in Venice with a 44%. Folks, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week here on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Hey, folks, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. And like I said, if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where you have our ever-expanding catalog of films. And then also, if you found value in the podcast or our website, become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you see from us. Remember, we're, we're doing it this way because we're looking to build this into something large and special. We want to be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.